Chapter 14 of The Knights of the Square Table. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Knights of the Square Table by Secretary Hawkins. Chapter 14 The Hole in the Floor. The first year that the skinny guy had spent away from our shack in the hollow, he had sent me a picture of his skinny self. And I had thought so much of that picture because the skinny guy and I had happened to be such chummy friends and had gone through so much danger and so many adventures together that I asked my mother to give me, as a Christmas gift, a frame for that picture, which she did. And the frame she had fitted around that picture was a beautiful thing. It was gold, green gold, the kind you don't see often. And believe me, I thought a great deal of that frame and the picture in it. And I brought it down to our little old shack in the hollow that we boys called our clubhouse. And I hung it up right in front of my little desk where I sat every day and wrote these minutes of the meetings. Well, for many days I looked upon that picture and it got to be just as much of a habit as my writing. To tell you the truth... I would have missed that picture quicker than I would have missed the clubhouse. And sure enough, one day when I came down, I missed that picture. Hawkins spoke up Shadow Loomis at our next meeting in the clubhouse. What in the world are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? I repeated. I intend to stick around here with my eyes open until I find out how the sneak thief gets into our clubhouse. Who do you think it is? asked Jerry Moore. I ain't saying who, I answered. It may be one of Pooley's gang, as I know you all think it is. But then again, it may not be. Don't tell me. Pooley talked to me the other night, and believe me, I know when a boy is talking the truth. Pooley won't allow any crooked stuff in his gang. He is our enemy, and he has a bone to pick with us. But believe me, when he picks it, it will be clean and square and fair. Dan, if I ever want to play tricks on Pooley, if I fight him, it's going to be a fair fist or not at all. All right, said Shadow Loomis, with a grin on his handsome face. Fight him fair. Yeah, chimed in Herb Acomb, who hadn't said much. Of late, Herb had been very quiet. But you know, the old proverb says it is quiet water that has the most to say after all. Or something like that. What I mean, I hurried to say, is that there are other boys who have it in for us. You fellows go around thinking of the only bunch of boys that happen to have it in for you at this particular time, forgetting all along those who were on the outs with you a year ago or so. Now, for instance, the Red Runners broke in Roy Doble. Oh, they're gone and done for, remarked Robbie Hood. How about Long Tom, who just escaped from the school for bad boys, chimed in Johnny McLaren. Seems to me... He was one of the worst Red Runners. The old gang may be gone, we may never see Red Runners again, but Long Tom can certainly stir up something as bad, if not worse, then you don't have to go as far as that, I said. Just look across the river. Across the river? It didn't seem to occur to them that just across the river from us lived the Pelham Fellows, the boys who had been giving us from our earliest days the most of our troubles. You don't mean to say, Hawkins, 
that the Pelhams have something to do with it? I mean to say that whenever there is a gang around this riverbank picking on us, it is a two-to-one bet that the Pelhams would rather help them than us. Unless the Pelhams happen to be in Dutch with the same gang as is down on us. Then they come to side with us. Hasn't it always turned out like that? Yes, they were all ready to admit. Very well then, I intend to be as suspicious of the Pelhams as I would be of Pooley's gang. So they left me alone, and I sat down in my little writing room and began to think. I could hear the boys in the hollow shouting and running. Bill Darby had brought down a new football and already had begun to form his team. Even Perry Stokes, who usually stays to clean the clubhouse after meetings, was gone. Because Bill needed every boy, he said, except me. Well, there I was sitting, writing down in my book about the meeting we had just had, and everything was quiet as a church. Then, all of a sudden, I heard a sound, as if a rat had run across the floor. I glanced around, but seeing nothing suspicious, I began again to scribble on the page. Then I seemed to hear voices coming from nowhere. Quick as a wink, I jumped out of my chair and ran to one of the curtains that hung in the doorway of my writing room and wrapped it around me, leaving just enough for my right eye to peep through. And hardly had I done so when things began to happen and I found out the secret entrance to our clubhouse that had been used by the thief in the night. Right at the spot where we used to hide the tin money under the loose floorboard. Yes, that's where the sound of muffled voices came from. And I saw the board pushed up from below. And I was just wondering how in the world a boy could squeeze through that little opening when I saw the board next to it raised. And the next. Ah, how foolish I had been not to think that they could have made that opening wider. By loosening two more boards, they had a secret entrance to our clubhouse that we could go on forever trying to find. Now I understand how Pooley had made his escape so quickly the night he had called at the clubhouse. He just blew out the lamp to give him time to disappear in the dark, pull up the boards, make his getaway, and pull the boards back into place on the floor joist. And by the time I had the lamp lighted again, of course there was nothing to show how he had gone. All this passed through my mind in a second, because just as soon as the three pieces of floorboard had been shoved up, there appeared a head and shoulders in the opening, and then another. They were knights of the square table. I could tell that by the costumes they wore, the little square cap and the cape that Pooley made his gang wear when they met. The first to come out was a boy with a cheerful face, except he had a red eye, like a bee stung him on it or something, red and swollen, so that his one eyeball looked through a little narrow slit. But his other eye was all right. His companion, who followed him quickly out the floor hole, was a little different. He was slender and pale-faced. Both of them were new to me. I had never seen them before. Well, Quail, said the boy with the bum eye, I told you there wouldn't be anybody here at this hour. You see, we are all alone. Yeah, that's all right, Sadler, said the second boy, but it could have waited. It couldn't have waited at all, broke in Sadler. Paulie's mad as a wet hen about you taking the gun. He won't ever forget that. And if he found out about this, I'm your friend, Quail. I want to see you stay in our gang. Paulie's a fine guy to have for a leader. 
Wait till this winter and see what fine times we have. You don't want to get chucked out for taking things. Come on, hurry up. Hand over that darn thing and we get it put back before something happens. We can't stand here all day, you know. Oh, all right, said Quail. Here it is. He put his hand inside his shirt and tugged at something. Only I'm sorry to put it back like this. Look it. Tain't like it was. Tain't got no picture in it now. Oh, well, what does that hurt? said Sadler, rubbing his sore eye with one hand and grabbing from the hand of his chum what? Yeah, you guessed it. My old picture frame. I saw it at an instant, but it had been wrecked. The skinny guy's cheerful face no longer was pictured within the golden boundary of that frame. Where was it when you took it? continued Sadler. Show me the nail where it hung, quick. But Sadler began Quail in a pleading voice, and then he got no further, for there came voices from the hole in the floor, angry voices. And before I knew it, out of the hole popped the head of my oldest enemy, the boy who had fought me when I was a little kid, Brigan, the leader of the Pelham Fellows. Ah, here you be, he snapped as he saw the two knights in the clubhouse. You are bad bargain makers, you guys from Pooley's gang. You took the gold frame, did you? All right, here's the thing that goes in it, you dirty little snides. Just you wait till us Pelham fellas catch you out alone. Hold on a minute, sang out Sadler. You're the guy I want to see. But Brigand did not hold on. He did not wait a second. He was gone the way he had come. And I there, wrapped up in that curtain, seeing it all yet not knowing whether to let them know that I knew or not. I decided to wait. Well, said the Sadler boy, here's the picture that goes in the frame. Put it together, Quail, just like it was, and then you go back over to Pelham and give that nasty-looking guy back whatever he gave you in trade for it. I did that already, said Quail. It was two agates and a pocket knife. I laid them on the table of their shack, when I took the frame back. That's settled then. Hurry, put it where you first saw it and let's get out of here. I watched them from my hiding place while Quail fitted the soiled picture into the frame as best he could. Of course the glass was gone, that had been broken most likely, and was beyond recall. But they finally had the picture back on the little nail in the wall, just above my desk, and both of them stood off their arms upon their hips, giving it a last look. Too bad you ever touched it, said Sadler to Quail, with a little shake of his head. The guy who sits here and writes liked that picture. It's that tall, lanky cuss that runs so fast. He ain't a bad fella. And him and that secretary guy think a heap of one another. I heard tell they've been all the way down to Cuba together, and lots of spooky things about him. It's a shame you ever moved that picture from the wall, Quail. Aren't you shamed, huh? Quail coughed a little and shifted his place. Well, he said, we're fighting these guys, ain't we? Didn't Pooley say? Pooley said, like he always says, play the game square. He didn't mean you to go snatching pictures off the wall and such things, Quail. Come on now, let's get out. No telling how soon these guys will be coming back to their clubhouse. They moved toward the hole in the floor. But here's where I made my first move. I unwound the curtain from about me and stepped in front of them. 
Never have I seen two more surprised lads in my life. Sadler, who was ahead of Quail, gave a little cry of fright at seeing me so suddenly, when he hadn't thought that there was a soul in the place besides himself and Quail. Hawkins, he exclaimed in a low voice. By George, Quail, it's Secretary Hawkins. I'd have known him anywhere from the way the fellows told me he looked. I smiled at him. Yes, I said. You're right, Sadler. I was wrapped up in that door curtain there. I heard every word you said from the time you came in. I also heard what Brigand, the Pelham leader, said. So I understand the whole business. Your little friend Quail here stole this picture from my writing room and traded it to the Pelhams. I understand. It's all right. Everything is absolutely all right. I am glad to know you, boys, and I hope to meet you next time in different circumstances. I held out my hand to him. Sadler rubbed his red eye and stepped back. But we belong to Pooleys, he said. We are fighting you guys, Hawkins. You don't want to shake hands with your enemies. I smiled again. With friendly enemies, I do, I said. You boys will know me better some day, I'm sure. You know we can fight if we have to, and still be square and fair. I want to thank you, Sadler, for getting that picture back to me. It was a picture I prize very much. An old, skinny friend of mine, you know, I think a heap of him. You don't know how I like you two kids for bringing it back and putting it where it was. Believe me, I thank you. Sadler, still rubbing that poor red eye, which must have pained him awfully, stepped slowly forward and took the hand I held out to him. You could have kept us prisoners here, he said in a low voice, and you let us go. Do you know what we would have done if you had been caught like this? I waved my hand. It's all fair and square when you're fighting, I said, but not when a fella brings back something you lost, something you'd give a whole lot for. Remember that, Sadler. One minute, though. I ask you this as a favour. Go out by the door. Nobody will see you. Goodbye, Quail. I shook Quail's hand too, but he didn't want me to. He felt so ashamed of himself. You could see it by the way he hung his face. Sadler was out the door first. I followed Quail. At the door, he paused and turned. Some day, he began... Some day when you get in a fix like this, but I cut him short. Goodbye, I said, and shut the door quickly behind him. Then I turned joyfully back into my writing room. Ha! The picture of my old skinny guy again adorned my wall. A sorry looking, soiled and glassless thing. But yet it was there. Soon I would have it cleaned up, a new glass fitted in, and I heard the boys coming. I hurried over and put back the three pieces of floorboard. The last piece had just been slammed into place when the door burst open and in they came. I made as if I had been writing all this time in my book. But Jerry Moore noticed the picture back in its place. And then every one of them was asking how I got it back. It wasn't so hard, I said. The Pelham fellows had it. And that's all I would say, no matter how many questions they asked. But long after they were gone that evening, I stayed there in the clubhouse, with only Perry Stokes to keep me company. Finally, when I had finished writing this all down in my book, 
I went to the loose floorboards and took them up and squeezed myself into the opening. I followed the dark way until I came out at last under the porch steps, and on the side was the opening through which these secret entrances had been made. Perry, I said when I came back out of the hole in the floor, much to his amazement, you and I will have to get a hammer and some nails and fasten down every loose board in this floor. Which we did. End of chapter 14